You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. It's great to see so many of you back from your time of travel and fall break. I uh, have had a conversation with a few of you about how in the world in the middle of October you have gotten so tan. And I've realized that you've gone to the beach. And so praise the Lord for your opportunities to get away. And I'm grateful to be gathered this morning as we get to lean in to some of the wording that we just sang about, um, a little bit about that video that we just watched about God's grace that empowers us, equips us to live differently. The series that we're in right now is about how we live set apart. And we've been talking about how God gives us all the things that we need in this life to be set apart, to be different for his glory. And naturally, there's been a response from many to say, I want that for my life, or I want to join in the body of Christ to pursue that as someone who has already surrendered my life to Christ. And so last weekend, we had the opportunity to celebrate three different family units that came to say yes to Jesus and to be a part of the body here, AJ Ashley, Jim Ellis, and the St. John family. Will you join me in welcoming and thanking the Lord for them and their partnership? This morning, we're going to be turning back into the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and find your Bible or your phone and to flip or click to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at the words that Paul leads young Timothy in when it comes to the practical ways that we are to live set apart and how he is to be equipped for an everyday faith. And as we turn there, I want us to consider this definition of the word equipped. There's a lot of definitions that you can look at, um, but I thought this one fit it the best. Equipped, meaning that we are supplied with the necessary items for our particular purpose. Supplied with the necessary items for a particular purpose. For those of you that just got back from traveling, did any of you get to your destination and find that you forgot something at home? Yes, hair dryers or toothbrushes or an extra pair of underwear, whatever that might be, right? You get to your destination, you realize I am unprepared. I am not packed well. Or some of you that have walked into a classroom or onto a sports field or into a job interview or into your first day at a job and recognized, I am not ready for this. I am ill-equipped for the task that is before me in whatever shape or size that that may be. I know for me, when it comes to vacationing and packing in general, I am quite the spectacle. I am either way overpacked or am I severely underpacked? And when I say way overpacked, what I mean by that, and gentlemen, you might understand this, is I do really good at packing like shirts. I pack so many shirts and hoodies and jackets, but I pack like one pair of pants. And and that's just what I'm going to roll with everything that we do. I'm just going to change the shirt, but the pants, those are going to stay solid. In fact, uh, (laughs) two weeks ago, I was packing for weekend retreat with our students. And I was so proud of myself because I did it before I left the house. And uh, usually Kelsey has to run around and throw those things into a bag for me and bring it over. But I went to her and I said, baby, I got everything packed. I'm ready to go. You don't got to worry about any of my stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm scoring points here. 
That was until one o'clock in the morning at the retreat when I went to lay down after a long day and realized that I did not pack a single iota of sleeping equipment. No pillow, no blanket. And so let me tell you, rolling up a t-shirt into a pillow and taking a child's blankets does not equal a good night's rest after a long retreat. In fact, I think about Dave Colbert, who's on vacation with his family right now out in Colorado. They are having an amazing time. They're making some great memories together, and I know that they are enjoying that time with each other. But I noticed a picture that Olivia put online of them standing in Colorado after they had just gotten done hiking a mountain. And as you can see, everyone in his family is wearing appropriate attire, (laughs) pants and hoodies, But Colbert apparently just packed one pair of shorts and just left with the shirt that he preached in on Sunday morning, and that's it. I don't know. I don't know. Pray for him this week. It's cold in Colorado. (laughs) He's hairy, though, so it's okay. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul does a really good job here of trying to remind Timothy of a whisper of Satan, a whisper of Satan that says that we have everything that we need on our own. You see, Paul in this address, he's trying to combat the lie that Satan says that we have everything that we need, that we're actually pretty great and we don't need a savior, nor do we need saving. You see, in our world that we live in today, it's certainly not uncommon when we flip on the television or we tune into a podcast or we scroll on social media or we open up a self-help book to hear this lie that makes us believe that we don't need anything other than ourselves. That as long as we try hard enough and we do enough and we grind enough, that we'll be okay. Now, I'm not saying that we should have a negative outlook on our life or rather that we should uh, inwardly hate ourselves, but what I want us to see today is that in order to be fully equipped, to be set apart for God's work and purpose, we need to recognize that it is God's grace and his transformative power inside of us that equips us to be able to do that. In fact, what I want us to understand is that unless we understand who we are without Christ Jesus, we will never realize our need for Christ. That if we don't recognize that without him we are underpacked and underprepared, that we are ill-equipped, then we will miss the mark when it comes to understanding the purpose and reasoning for our life and the mission in which God has equipped us for. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul begins in verse 12 here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength and he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Man, I read those words, those descriptors that Paul shares about himself and I cannot help but remember my life before Christ especially when he uses this word violent man. Not externally violent, right? But inwardly violent towards the thoughts that I had and the positions that I took on certain things that my heart was in turmoil. It was in distress. It was violence. 
But he says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul's word about himself describes who he was before Christ. He says that he was a blasphemer, right? A a mocker of God, a a persecutor. And in fact, Paul would have led and, and been a part of direct persecution that would have come from early followers of Jesus where he would have been a part of potentially knowing about their death and being a part of giving the nod for it. Violent. But here's the thing. We all share a common connection with Paul's words. In fact, all of us in this room and everyone on this planet who has and will be shares this common connection that we have all sinned. All of us have fallen short. And because of our sins, the Bible teaches that we are separated from God, that we deserve death, and that we deserve eternal separation from him in hell. There is no other connection that we all share in that way other than to say that we have all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. Ephesians 2 does a good job of saying it this way. As for you, you can replace you with your name. As for David, David was dead in his transgressions in sins in which he used to live when he followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time. And this is what we did. We gratified, we fulfilled, we pursued the cravings of our flesh and we followed, not Jesus, but our own desires and our own thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But the story does not end there. Rather, but because of God's great love, he offers us layers of mercy in our ignorance and unbelief. Verse four says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. I love that description of God's mercy, that it does not have a limit. It is richly abundant. Is this a treasure chest that we cannot find the end of? A bottomless wealth. It has made us alive with Christ even when you and I were dead in our transgressions and sins. You see, it is his mercy that sustains our very life. It is his mercy that allowed for us to wake up this morning and to breathe a breath of air that we did not deserve nor earn nor work for. Even for those that don't know who Jesus is, who have not surrendered their life to him, it is God's mercy that allows you to live. It's God's mercy that allows you to experience his creation. We think about all of the trips and the travels and the beautiful leaves that are on the trees. That's not just limited to those that know Jesus. That's limited to no one. It is for everyone. It's God's mercy that allows us to see these things without even recognizing the creator that made those things. But it's also his mercy is the road that leads us to the gift of grace. It's his mercy that allows for us to see the gift of grace found only in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. We can try 
our very best to replace the gift of grace with a lot of things that people have said will give us what we need or that have promised to fix our problems or that have falsely given us hope. But there is nothing that can give us the gift of grace other than the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There had to be payment for your sins and mine. There was no substitution. Jesus is always and will always be the plan. Verse 15, Paul says it this way to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, don't miss this. Listen up. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. What was his purpose again? Oh, that's right. To save sinners of whom Paul says, I'm the worst of. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. My goodness, has God not been patient with us? He has been so patient with me. And I know he is with you. For he is an example, Paul says, for those who would believe in him and to receive eternal life. Paul says, now to him who is eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, to him and him alone be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. In other words, let this be so. You see, when Paul considers God's amazing grace, he recognized how God called him and equipped him for his life. In verse 12, a little earlier when he says that he was strengthened, another translation of that could be being called equal to the task. You see, Paul was not equipped to serve as an apostle or to suffer persecution or to live the life in which he lived without the grace of God. It was the grace of God that sustained Paul. It was the grace of God that made Paul. It was the grace of God that fueled Paul and equipped him for every task that he would walk through and every moment that he would spend his life in. We talked about this a couple weeks ago at midweek, that God's purpose in our life is to draw us in, that we would be able to experience him, to understand who we are, our need for him, the purpose that he has for our life, so that then the result of that is that he could send us out. It's this natural being pulled in and equipped to be utilized for the grace and goodness of God as an ambassador of it. Hebrews 10 says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, that our hearts would be cleansed from a guilty conscience, that we would have our bodies washed with pure water, only things that God can do. And because of this, let us hold unswervingly, let us hold tightly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He's not half-hearted, he does not go back on his word. He is faithful and true. And as he draws us into himself, we get to experience that more and more when we walk through situations that draw us to him that we don't understand the purpose of. What we see on the other side is that he always has a purpose for it because he's faithful. You see, in whatever way that God has called us to serve or live or be, he equips us for that task. Not out of our own grit, 
but rather he sustains us through his grace and mercy, just as he's done throughout history. You see, it's just like how God equipped a self-exiled murderer by the name of Moses when he meets him at the burning bush and he tells him to go back into the place to speak to Pharaoh, the very place in which he's run from. And Moses looks back at God and he says, pardon your servant, Lord. I'm not, I'm not equipped for that. I'm not eloquent. Neither am I past nor since you've spoken to your servant. In fact, I'm pretty slow of speech and tongue. I don't know if I'm the dude to go and to speak to Pharaoh in the way that you have me to do that. And the Lord looks back at him. He said, let me remind you who equips you. Who gives humans their mouth? Who makes the deaf or mutes that way? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then he says, now go. I will help you and I will teach you what to say. Do you notice God's grace here? His mercy that's given to Moses? Moses is literally talking back to God and saying, you got it wrong, man. And God says, no, I've got it right and I'm gonna teach you how to do it. I'm gonna equip you for it. Just like God equipped a young Jeremiah to be the prophet of the nations. God says to Jeremiah, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, Jeremiah. I, the Lord, appointed you as prophet of the nations. I answered, this is Jeremiah saying, alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. And in fact, I'm way too young for the task that you're calling me into. And students, young adults, college age, how many times do we walk through a situation or a period of our life that we say, I, I don't know if I'm old enough to deal with this situation that's going on in my life with the breakdown in my family or the friend that's struggling with something that I've never, ever walked through. I have no idea what words I'm to share with them. I'm too young to walk through that or to step into that. Jeremiah felt it. But God said, do not say I am too young. For you must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. And I love this physical reminder. He reaches out his hand and he touches the mouth of Jeremiah. And he says, I have put my words into your mouth. And God's grace and mercy, his equipping for a young man who felt like he couldn't even say the right words. He touches him on the mouth and he says, I'm gonna put what you need right there. Have you noticed that through these few interactions in the Old Testament that these young men and, and old men, they were honest about the places that they felt inadequate. They were honest about the places that they felt ill-equipped or where they felt that they have fallen short. And, and I just want us to pause right here because I believe that this is a healthy part of us understanding God's grace and mercy is that what goes hand in hand into that is us admitting that we need it. The word for it is confession. Now, when we say that word, some of you go to an image in your mind of going into a box and there's a guy on the other side of the box and you're just sharing with him your laundry list of things that you did bad that week and he then forgives you or he gives you a list of things that you are to do after that. But I heard it said recently, and I really liked this definition of it, that biblical confession is, is more than just giving a laundry list. It's 
agreeing that God is right and I'm wrong. Namely, that his way, his power, his plan, his purpose, his will, his thoughts, his decrees are better than mine. And that I have tried it on my own, but I know that he's better. And I admit it. Biblical confession is to recognize and bring to God these inward pieces of my life that need to be healed by his grace rather than concealed. In fact, I want us to understand that concealing things in our life, keeping them within, actually prevents healing. You see, far too often when we think about God's grace and his mercy, we try to push it away because we feel as if either A, we don't need it because we don't recognize our sin and the separation that it causes us from God, or B, we don't feel like we deserve it because of the things that we've done. We feel like they are too bad, and so we'd rather go and hide. Or we choose to justify it. We choose to cover it up so that no one will find out. But for any of us that have done that, we know the immense weight that that has within our life, yes? In fact, King David wrote in the Psalms about the effects that this has in our life. He says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. For he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Have you felt that before? when you have harbored sin in your life and tried to cover it up or justify it, have you not felt as if the very bones of your body are wasting away? That inwardly you are breaking down? Verse four says, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, God. My strength felt as if it was sapped as in the heat of summer. The descriptive here being that God was pressing in on David to push out these things that he had tried to hide. You see, when we confess our sin, when we admit sin to be sin, when we name it as it is and we don't just look at it as a hiccup, we'll always find that God's grace and mercy is not only on the other side of it, but it's been with us even in the moment, that it's present. Verse five says that David acknowledged his sin He did not cover up his iniquity. He says, I will confess my transgressions to you, Lord, and you forgave the very guilt of my sin. Not only did God forgive his sin, but he forgave the guilt that David had so deeply harbored inside of him, this thing that had caused great turmoil in his life. Maybe for you today, as we talk through God's grace and mercy, you feel these things begin to bubble up in your life the stuff that we've harbored away and tried to hide from God. Yes, we put on a good front. Yes, we wear our church face this morning. Yes, we sing praises to God, but inwardly we're wasting away because we have just tried to shug this thing off or to hide it or to make it like it's no big deal, but instead God's calling it to the surface so that we could experience his grace and mercy, his boundless mercy. In fact, I want you to pull out your Get Connected card, your welcome home card that you have inside of your bulletin there and in that discovery section, maybe for you today, that's where you just start writing what it is that you have so hidden deep away. Just write it out. God, I have hidden this. I have tried to hold this on my own. 
whatever that mistake or past broken situation is or whatever you're in right now, I just ask that you take time and that you were to write that out. In fact, on the lower level today, the children in children's ministry are doing something really similar. Um, anybody remember Shrinky Dinks? Yes, yes, I love Shrinky Dinks. Um, in fact, sometimes I wish my body was a Shrinky Dink. I just go in an oven and come out and be a whole lot smaller. Nevertheless, like not just like thinner, but like, like for real smaller. It'd be cool to see that world in that height. Anyway, um, I think about Shrinky Dinks and uh, what they're doing down there today is they are writing the heavy things that are inside of their heart today. And... Um, for those of you who have kids or you're associated with children, um, you know the heavy things that this generation of elementary age kids, it, it's, it's very much different than maybe what we've experienced in the past. You see, when elementary age kids write down prayer requests now, there's a lot more that talk about their anxiety and depression than ever before. There's a lot more that talk about the severe brokenness in their home than ever before there's a lot more that they wish the yelling in their house would stop. And they're to write down these things on the shrinky dink side, whatever it is that they have heavy in their heart, and then their leader comes and they write God on the other side. And they allow God to cover that thing. And then what happens is they take it in their easy bake oven or the oven upstairs and it shrinks underneath the heat as God covers it and then they get it handed back to them and it's smaller. It's smaller than when they started with it. But let me tell you, God just doesn't just shrink the heaviness in our heart. God equips us to work through it. God equips us to be free from it. Not again by our grit or determination, but rather by recognizing his grace. In fact, as we look into the close of this chapter, Paul leans in a little deeper with Timothy. In fact, I almost picture if Paul was saying these words to Timothy instead of writing them, I feel like, like this would have been the proximity moment where Paul would have sat down with Timothy. He would have taken the moment from just a conversation like this to physically sitting with him because he says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well. Timothy, hold on to the faith and to a good conscience because there are those that have rejected it and they have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Do you hear Paul's plea for young Timothy to remember what God has done in his life and what God's purpose is in Timothy's life? He's pressing into Timothy to keep the faith, but remember the verses before that is it's not about just keeping the faith in his own strength, but rather to keep the faith to recognize that it is God's grace that he's equipped him for the task that he's in currently. You see, he's pressing into Timothy to have a forgiven heart. He says, have a good conscience be well equipped with God's grace. And this is because God's grace compels us to live set apart. It's God's grace that compels us to live different. You see, the world, the person without Jesus cannot know the depths of what grace and mercy are. And as believers, I think far too often we live or we act 
like we haven't been forgiven, that we do not know what grace and mercy are in our lives. A lot of times we act just like Adam and Eve after they had sinned in the garden. We just run. We recognize our sin and we run from the goodness of God. And for Adam and Eve, they found themselves hiding in a bush as if they could hide from God. But the Bible describes that God doesn't just leave them in their hiding. Genesis describes that God, physical God, was walking in the garden and he called out for them as if God didn't know where they were in the first place. God knew where they were. His invitation for them when he called out to them is, why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding? He knows that they've fallen short. He knows that they sinned and he wants to bring them to where he is so that forgiveness may have its effect. But even in the garden, we see that that forgiveness had a cost. God made the first sacrifice right there in the very garden. He took an animal and he sacrificed it. And he covered Adam and Eve in that moment with the skins of that animal as the representation of the forgiveness that has been given in their life. But that forgiveness still caused a separation that we still feel today, yet we have Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our life. And it's the power of God's grace and mercy that calls us from the ashes of our own defeat, our own grave, our own burial, our own devastation, and it equips us, it calls us from it into the battle of each day of our life. And do not be fooled to think that each day is just whimsical and meaningless. Each day of your life, you have been equipped for by God's grace and mercy. Whether it is a diagnosis that you wished you would have never heard, or whether it is the death of someone that you so deeply loved, or whether it is walking across the room to have a conversation with somebody that you have nothing in common with, or coming up against something that you feel like there is no way that I can even begin to start to understand how to do that, God has equipped you for the battle of each day as we await his return. Because he who promises faithful and what he promised is that one day he will return. Until that day though, we live no longer for ourselves but we live for Christ because he's equipped us to do so. For God's love compels us because we are convinced that one Jesus died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Today as you look down at your welcome home card or the things that you've written down in your journal or maybe you just have them archived up here, I want you to know that those things are being pressed to the surface for a reason and it's because God's grace and mercy is available for you to trust in him that you don't have to hold that, that God is willing and able to take it. For those of you that are in the room today or online that have yet to accept God's grace and mercy in your life by saying yes to Jesus' call to repent and to be baptized, God is waiting for that. He's waiting for you to say yes to him. He's already paved the road. He's made things available to you. You are the one You are the one that says yes to that. 
It is freely available and been paved through God's grace and mercy. And so don't wait any longer. It's ready. For those of you that have made that decision and you surrendered your life to him, may we live as people that are forgiven with great boldness and excitement and joy. May we live as people of the fruit of the Spirit that have love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. May those things ooze out of us because we recognize the grace that we've been given. Not from ourselves, not from my grit, but rather because God's grace and mercy looked upon a man who needed to know that it wasn't about the things that he did or the people that he was better than, but it was because about his grace that I so desperately needed. I don't know where you are today, but I hope more than anything else you recognize that it's God's grace that you need more than anything else in this world. It has been and it will be. And it's freely available to you because of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder. And Father, for the education of what your grace and mercy is in our life. Father, I pray that you would press into us just as you did with David. That we would no longer try to harbor these things on our own. But we would let them come to you. Father, for the many reasons that we think that we can't, may we just get out of the way of that and just sit at your feet with it. Father, we thank you that your mercy, your grace has no limit nor end, that it is abundant if we choose to step into it and to be overwhelmed by it. God, help us today to think as people who have been forgiven, to 